are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in here today on Westwood One. My name is Steve Dace. This is the Steve Dace Show podcast edition powered by CRTV. Todd has the day off. Aaron is here with me, however. And we would love it if you would let us know what you think about what we think, especially because it is a feedback Friday. We'll be getting to that here momentarily. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. I mentioned the show powered by CRTV. We had our Dace Group Roundtable reviewing the week that was. That's always one of our most fun episodes. So if you've never, ever subscribed to CRTV before, today's a great day to sample us. And you won't just get an opportunity to check out our show, but the great one, Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, Stephen Crowder, the entire team here exclusively at CRTV. So use my name as a promo code, D-E-A-C-E, when you go to CRTV.com, CRTV.com, promo code DACE, and you'll get a discounted subscription. How big of a discount? It's only going to cost you a quarter a day for a year. I got to believe you've got a quarter that you can come up with, 24 cents actually, every single day. That's it. That's all it takes to get some of the finest conservative programming and commentary out there exclusively here at CRTV.com, promo code DACE. All right, let's get to it with some feedback Friday. Aaron, you ready to go? Absolutely. All right, let's start with Michael. Says, uh, just got turned on to your show. I really enjoy it. You guys have a very astute voice, but I have a question for you. Recently, I heard Ben Shapiro comment that there is also kind of an identity politic on the right my question is, when have, you, when have you crossed over and perhaps started, when did you cross over and perhaps start catering to a right-leaning identity politic? Um, I think your walking out of that interview a few weeks ago was an attempt to say, nope, we're not doing identity politics here. But they seem to interpret your actions as some kind of overly sensitive identity group politic, which is, in a way, ironic. You know, that's actually, I think, with all due respect, Michael, you're mixing your metaphors a little bit, but your first a question about an identity politics on the right, I've run into that plenty of times. I mean, I just got an email last night. Someone sent Mark Levin an email, copied me on it, said they weren't subscribing to CRTV anymore, gave several reasons why. And one of the reasons why was I'm not supportive, I'm, that uh, I'm a terrible Christian because I'm not supportive enough of the president. How many times have we gotten that over the years? Um, way too many. Yeah, I, I've 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 not been a good Christian because I'm not supportive enough of Mitt Romney, John McCain. Now, the weird thing about this whole government by the consent of the governed thing is, I kind of thought the the issue was whether they were supportive enough of me. We have rights; they go to individuals from God. So I'm the one in charge, and you're the one in charge, and you're the one in charge, and you're the one in charge, and I. I like, I wonder if, like, Warren Buffett sits around the Berkshire Hathaway corporate offices and says, you know, I I wonder if this regional VP in Schenectady is supportive enough of my efforts. Think he wonders that? 
No. I would I would say billions of dollars say no. Yeah, because yeah. he's Warren friggin' Buffett. Yeah. Instead, the guy in Schenectady is like, man, I really would really like to have more of a supportive role in Warren Buffett's universe. Because Warren Buffett's the top of the food chain, and he's not. Somehow, I don't know how we did this with self-government. This thing's been inverted. And that's where cults of celebrity come from. And it works the other way, too. I've been told I'm a terrible Christian because I won't rip the president for things he does that I do agree with. I get that as well. Well, he's a terrible person. Oh, I know he's a terrible person, so I didn't vote for him. Well, that means he can't ever do anything right. Well, no, that's not true because, you know, we're all terrible people and we do things right sometimes. I mean, I I don't buy into that. You're actually not um, opposing the cult around Trump. You have just formed a rival cult in opposition to Trump. Just you're doing exactly what the people that are fawning over uh, the president that you condemn do. You're allowing what you decide to be right and wrong based on your feelings of his personality. That's idolatry. And it works both ways. So absolutely there's an identity politic on the right. But it is, it is not the foundational driving impetus for the right in America. It is for the left. What do I mean by that, Michael? Let me answer the question for you. Some of you that are old time, uh, you know, listeners to this, you've heard me make this point in the past. I'll make it once more. If you go ask the average person, why do they vote Republican? They will tell you I'm pro-life, strong national defense, pro second amendment. Um, They'll give you a value. If you go ask the average person, why do you vote Democrat? They will tell you, I'm black, I'm gay, I'm a single mom, I'm Hispanic, I belong to a union, I'm a teacher. They'll give you an identity. So identity politics is a dri- it can be a driving force on the right. I run into it all the time. Mainly, and, and I'm not always right when I oppose it. Because sometimes I'm just a contrarian because it's the way I'm wired. I'm, just, I'm wired to be not a joiner. A lot of times it serves me well, but not all the time. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I should join when I don't. All right, but um, it's not the driving force on the right. Now, some of us look at the emergence of Trump and we are concerned that that's beginning to happen on the right. Um, when we start looking at or... Um, saying things like white people aren't having enough kids and that threatens our demographic that, that, that demographic threatens our future well here's the thing about that that's actually true but not for the reasons that the people saying it often think that it is and it's actually getting less true because what we have found what, what Pew recently found in your generation Aaron is that the whiter you are, the less likely you are actually to be a person of prayer and regular church attendance in your era, in your generation. Mm-hmm. Okay? But um, the reason why there was some truth to that is because of the influence of Western civilization upon that demographic and its views of morality, uh, the importance of family, the church the um, uh, founding ideals of the country. Not because, let me put it this way, because people are white doesn't mean 
that they have certain belief systems. Just like if people are black, doesn't mean they have certain belief systems. You may have you may carry with your racial identity certain stereotypes if you choose. But when God paints your skin one way or the other at your conception, you aren't inherent. You don't. You're not. You're not um, imported a value or belief system based on the lack or or fullness of pigment in your skin. That's not how this works. Well, that's how racist thinks it work. Are there certain cultural dynamics that can be broken down sometimes racially? Yeah, but a lot of times that's because of the cultural influences, not because of the race itself. But we have a tendency to kind of tribalistically look at it that way. So it's a problem on the right too, but it's not a driving force on the right. It is the driving force on the left. And here's how you can tell. This is an analogy I've used in the past. I'll use it again here too. You can go into a lot of, here in, you know, I've had a chance here in Des Moines, I've preached in a few black churches early in my uh, time as a outspoken believer here in our hometown. And there were times speaking in predominantly black churches, I felt like tempted to pull up, maybe uh, not go as hard after an issue because I know out in the suburban white churches, they're like, ah, that's a little harsh. Folks in those churches are like, round third, bring it home. If we don't smell any fire and brimstone walking out here, it's like we wasted our time on a Sunday morning. I would sit there and I would watch black ministers go after and confront sin patterns amongst their parishioners that a lot of the churches where I live just sort of gloss over that. Don't want to offend. And then you'll go by that black church a few months later or weeks later or sometime later and there's an Obama for president sign. A complete total repudiation of everything they were just preaching in that church that I know they believe and this is the conflict that that identity politics presents. The way identity politics works on the right, people sitting in a in a largely white suburban megachurch don't feel pressured to support the Republican president because they're white. They feel pressured to support the Republican president no matter who it is because they're evangelicals. That's the difference. Notice what I started this conversation off with. The complaint was what, Aaron? Do you remember? I wasn't a good enough Christian because what? Because of what you think of somebody. Yeah, because of whether or not I support. My level of support of the president was the parameter of whether I was a good enough Christian. The way it works on the left is, if you won't vote Democrat, you're not black enough. You're not woman enough. You're not Hispanic enough. The way it works on the right is not your racial or gender identity. It's based really on your moral or religious identity a lot of times. And that's why you often, you've maybe heard me say this in the past too, the, the, the more I grow in my faith, the more conservative and right-wing I actually get and the less Republican and partisan I get. Because 
it cements more and more my values and my principles. And it erodes more and more my allegiances to worldly things. Because what makes me a conservative is my desire and my conviction to conserve that which history and history's judge has revealed to be what's best for the human condition. And often that runs counter to what's best for your racial, political, or even religious identity. Like when you ask somebody, what religion are you? And they don't say Catholic, they say Baptist. I'm a Calvinist. Right away, man, make, not always, but more times than not, listen to your spidey sense. Because that kind of tells you a lot right there. That's where they find their identity at. Hope that answers your question, Michael. Do you want to add anything to that, Aaron? No, I think that's an important conversation to have. On, on, uh, but just really briefly, on the left, identity politics is foundational to their worldview. If we adopt that on the not left or the right, if you want to call it, or conservatives, we're not really conservatives. We're not really, mm-hmm. we're not really on the right anymore. We're just, we're part of their, we're part of their group. Think at yep. that point. Yeah, we're just a rival group of of of, of, of a rival grievance game. Yep. Yep. Right. So that's how do you how do you get a black minister who's preaching fire and brimstone and Jesus is the only way to vote for the same candidates that Rosie O'Donnell's for? How do you do that? Because when he goes into the polling booth, is he thinking of himself as a as a minister? No, he's thinking of himself as black. black. Yeah. That's why he's doing that. Now, there, Aaron is. You are correct. There is an increasing pressure to do this on the right because Republicans won't really stand for often many of the principles we care the most about. And so we have to come up with some reason to, to keep you on the GOP plantation, keep you voting for the same people that keep screwing you over and over again. Now me, I have no problem this fall going in voting for a bunch of Republicans. I can't stand strictly on the grounds that the other side is pointing a loaded gun at my face and I'm confident they will shoot it if I empower them to. But but that's not a real get out the vote grabber. <laughs> that's not that's not a message that most people most people want to believe they're voting for heroes and champions. I don't need to believe that. I'm perfectly fine believing I'm voting for the fiends that are the most likely to leave me alone. Leave me the hell alone. I'm totally okay with it. And I've always been okay with it. What I'm not okay with is making fiends to be heroes when they're not. They're still fiends. They're just the fiends that aren't a threat to you. Nearly on the level as the ones that are are showing themselves to be. But the reality is that doesn't move a lot of people because most people are joiners. I'm not. I don't don't need to feel like I'm part of something something big to align with you at a time out of my own self-interest. I don't need that. Most people aren't like me, though. Most people are joiners by nature, and that's why they want to believe they're voting for something and not against. And that's why we make Trump out to be Cheeto Jesus, who's saving America. And George W. Bush was saving America, and Mitt Romney was going to save America, and John McCain was going to save. That's why we do this every time. That's why it's always the most important election of your lifetimes. This is why. Because most people can't handle a purely transactional process. They need to believe they're the hero of the story. It's the Urban Meyer story we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ohio State fired a coach for punching a guy, fired a coach for 
for winning 80% of his games fighting a, and not and, and beating and having a winning record against the rival fired a coach for winning 80% of his games and not having a winning record against this rival firing if he got rid of a coach for lying to them in the NCAA yet hasn't seemed to slow down the amount of games they win right so why are they fighting so hard it's been two weeks no piece of evidence has been presented to question the validity of the physical evidence Courtney Smith has put out there in two weeks. Nothing. And yet we're fighting so hard to keep this coach when we've gotten rid of coaches before and we were still kicking everybody's ass if you're Ohio State. But it's the, it's the identity politic. We have to win this battle. What are you winning? You're going to win 83% of your... Okay, maybe you'll only win 83% of your game instead of 86 Congratulations, you get the coach everybody mocks for the rest of your life for having the wife beater. What, what, what's the prize there? When you remove the identity politic from it, there's no prize. And they would, that's why if it was another team in the exact circumstance, what would those fans be saying? What I'm saying right now. This is what the identity political idolatry does to us across the board. You lose yourself in it. But most people, most of you won't vote if you don't feel as if you're part of something big, some big mission. And that's why they lie to you. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not going to lie to you. Most of you won't show up and vote just because, do we got to stop these damn communists again? You won't do that. I don't have a problem with it. Like, everything I know about Donald Trump now if I would have known he would have been willing to do the stuff on my issues that he's been willing to do, I'd have gone in and voted for him in 2016 and defended it just fine. My issue was, I'm going to get all this guy's baggage and no benefit. Why should I go out there and put my, my name on the line for something that gets me no ROI? I have no problem at all saying I think he is a bad human being. I did everything I possibly could to stop this bad human being from being one of our two major options for president. I used every ounce to the last day of the GOP convention. I did everything I could. I argued with friends. I lost friends. I did everything I could. I risked my career. I did everything I could to stop this choice from happening. And it happened. And I'm perfectly fine saying as terrible as he is, the other person's terrible and is out to get me. This one's just terrible. I'll take the just terrible over the terrible and out to get me. But most of you won't vote like that. You want to believe, you, you want to believe this is Cheeto Jesus. He's, he's, it, it, you know, it's that, it's that meme that goes around with Jesus in the Oval Office when Trump's at the desk. Have you ever seen that one? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Most people, the reason why they do that stuff to us is because most of us need this. We need to know or believe something more romantic or nostalgic is happening here. I'm perfectly fine naming my guy, my, my son, after a guy who had a freaking rewards card at Pagan Brothels and was literally a total knuckle-dragger. On the other hand, he plunged the temple of Dagon and the fish demon face down in the dirt and crushed all their asses in the process. I'll name my kid after that guy. And you know what I'll tell him? Hey, be like the guy you're named after when he did that act, not when he did all the other stupid stuff over here. But we can't, most of us can't do that. Most of us have to uh, believe things that aren't true 
in order to act on what may be true. And that's where the identity politic comes in on the right. The identity politic on the left, as Aaron says, is the air in which they breathe. It's their DNA. Take it away, they collapse. Because there's, you have a lot of constituencies on the left that don't have similar beliefs on several issues. They just have a common, a common thread, which is access to government for whatever reason. That's why you see people like Candace Owens and others going after Kanye West and people like that. And we kind of out here in white America, we're like, why does anybody care what this guy thinks? But we haven't been worked over with that level of racial identity politic. Well, probably not since the end of the old segregated South. We haven't as white folks. Our big issue is you're just not Christian enough. You're not you're not patriotic enough if you don't hate the NFL kneelers even more than Trump does. Right. That's our game. That's what we do. You're not Americana enough. You're not Christian enough. Over there, for them, though, it's a racial identity on that side. They're trying to break that concrete is really difficult and really hard. Boy, I could do an entire show yeah. on this topic. Yep. Um, where to go next? I just listened to your breakdown a couple of weeks ago of the MCU films and you guys ranked all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Here are my thoughts. This is from Jacob. He says, Civil War was a better Black Panther movie than Black Panther. See, I kind of think Winter Soldier was a better Civil War movie than Civil War was, but okay. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 should have been higher, mainly because they managed to... You agree? Yep. They managed to raise the stakes while making it a more personal and character-driven movie. You agree with that? I do, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I guess I just have an affinity for. I, I have an affinity for both of those movies, but I thought it was a little bit. Should have been a. And I think I said this at the time. A little bit higher, maybe three or four spots higher, but not. I mean, in my list, um, subjectively, I it would have put it in the top ten of the Marvel movies. But if you're going to try to do it objectively as possible, I, I can see why you put it there. He says, I appreciate that you appreciate Captain America, the first Avenger, as much as I do. Many people didn't like it and rate it much lower. I love the movie. And it's one of those things I can watch over and over again. I think they perfectly captured the spirit of that time. They did a great job with it. Finally, says, you mentioned the movie Sneakers in that podcast. I'd be interested to get your opinion on it. I hate the movie. It's, it, it's a movie that Robert Redford literally just said, I'm at a point in my life, I want to make a film that shoves my political propaganda as ham-fisted and heavy-handed as I can right so far down your throat, it comes out the other end. I, I couldn't stand the movie. I hated it every minute of it. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Sneakers? Here. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, stay away. Okay. Who's, who's in it? Robert Redford's in it. I think Dan or Aykroyd might be in it from what I recall. It's from like 1992. English. Yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this is like which, which is a quarter century ago. Yeah. Um, is it the, the it, oh is is that like did they make a movie out of the song? Uh, Sir, I want to buy these shoes. You know the Christmas shoes song. No. Okay. Because that's kind of the reaction you have to that song too. Gosh. I wish Todd were here. I feel yeah. I feel so old right now. Man, you were surrounded by millennials on the TV show. I today. was. You, Pandolfo, yeah. and Miller. I literally started talking like this, <laughs> whippersnappers, about halfway through. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, where do I want to go next? 
meta-narrative of the modern world. This is from one of our more deep-thinking listeners, Jeff Payne in Winter Springs, Florida. He says, Steve, what do you think of the idea that Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus is the meta-narrative of the modern world? The story arc goes like this. Clever humans use technology to create something we should not have. The thing we created takes on a life of its own and escapes our control. We try to recapture or destroy it, and so our creation turns against us. Either we kill it or it kills us, or there is a reprieve to allow for a sequel. (laughs) Any number of very successful movies, books follow this story arc. I believe that it's because that storyline resonates with our society. It's the story we are living but that we refuse to own. Much like an individual will often dream about the thing he can't face, I conceive that our society is embracing entertainment that tells the story that deep down, we know we are in. Prometheus taught humanity to use fire and work metal. In modern terms, he was a technologist. Progressives believe that new technology liberates humankind from old truth. Prometheus was a titan who was at war with the gods. Progressives are technologists who are at war with the one true God. Prometheus failed in his attempt to upend divinity and so was condemned to repeatedly have his guts torn out by an eagle. What will the punishment be for today's Promethean progressives? What will be ours if we keep following them? What is the thing that we have created that is now killing us? The thing that determines whether our water is safe to drink, our food safe to eat, that passes judgment on our finances and establishes preferences for the kinds of people who get scholarships, jobs, and contracts, that seeks to control who gets what medical care, that defines some people as subhuman and therefore disposable, that redefines divorce and marriage, that tells us who to, who, who to bake cakes for and to arrange flowers for, the monster that we created, that we, would, that we thought would be our Lord and Savior, is government. Old King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and he ain't got nothing on us. There really is nothing new under the sun. Aaron, your thoughts on that? Ouch. I thought at the end when he said, uh, we've made this and it is government, I thought he was actually going to say it was Lord Nefarious, because it sounds like, I mean, what he just described was basically your entire book in like... A series of two or three tweets mm-hmm. um, that is profound and very very well said and absolutely right things like this just don't happen in a vacuum they don't just happen overnight uh, it's a slow fade casting crowns uh, it is it is happening over time and we only have ourselves to blame these things don't just happen they maybe happen over generations but we each have have played a part in some small way, some generations, maybe more than others, but we only have ourselves to blame when we create something or when we let something that belongs to us become something else that is out of our control. Uh, Let's get to one more before we get out of here today. This is from Alex M who has some suggestions for the dude code. Oh boy. Yeah. If I didn't think some of these were at least promising, I wouldn't do this because I don't want to end on a why'd you waste our time note. Yeah. Okay. So he thinks these are some things that need to be placed into the dude code. The dude shall accept accountability for his words and actions. Okay. This is one of the number one lessons I'm trying to teach Noah right now. Yeah. Dudes are accountable for their words and their actions. We're accountable. 
I like that. I do too. Yeah. That should be like number one. That should be pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. The dude shall be strong in his convictions, never abandoning them for convenience. I think that's the key part there because yeah. I mean your convictions could be. What wrong. if your convictions suck? <laughs> yes. For those of you that don't remember, I was t- we were talking about this a couple days ago. Which when we go to the movies, there's this Diet Coke commercial. It's driving me nuts. And it's this pretty gal, and she's wearing the rainbow shirt, and she grabs some funky flavor of Diet Coke, and starts drinking. And says you whatever it is, you do you, and I can't help myself. Every time this comes out, I'm sitting there in the theater. I'm like, what if you suck? <laughs> and <laughs> we get so mad. <laughs> but I'm kind of at that age now where I was, I'm, I've crossed the bridge. So like a few years ago when I realized I was becoming get off my lawn guy, I'm mm-hmm. like, gosh, I just hate myself right now. Just embrace it. I'm, I'm so in on my, yeah. I'm so in on me right now. Yeah. I'm almost as in on me as Jim Acosta is on himself. Not quite there yet, <laughs> but I'm totally in on me right now. I'm up on me. I'm totally in on the, on the I'm in, I am fully vested in cranky, middle-aged crankiness. Yes. You get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, hey there, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm going to go to Grand Torino proportions, uh-huh. okay? But, or, or Michael Douglas and falling down. But I'm certainly, I'm certainly okay letting out a get off my lawn every now and then, right? You okay, know, like yeah. just watched Up Again with the Kids for uh-huh. family movie night. And this was like the most sympathetic I've ever been of the old man. I'm like, I just love this guy. <laughs> you know? Because like when, when I first saw the movie 10 years ago, whenever it first came out, I'm like, man, this broke my heart. This happened to this guy. And, you know, he used to be this loving dude. And now like, I'm like, gosh, this guy's so cool. You know? Nice. Uh, when he, Take a bath, hippie. I laughed at, I've seen that movie 50 times. It's one of my favorite Pixar movies. I've never laughed harder at that line mm-hmm. than this last time we watched it. It just... That was my spirit animal right nice. there. Nice. Yes. But, um, um, you know, your convictions could suck. You could suck. Don't just do you. You might suck at life. You might want to reconsider whether doing you might be why you're in do-do, right? You know, so you might need a filter. You might need to reconsider that. So that's why I love you never abandon them for convenience. There might be a time and place to abandon your convictions. Like if you're Edward Norton's character in American History X, good opportunity to abandon your convictions. Your convictions suck. You're wrong. Okay, but you never abandon him for convenience. Anytime a dude abandons his convictions for convenience, it's a it's a it's not for the right reasons. Next one, the dude shall be decisive, never afraid to take a stand, and shall not waver. What do you dis- define as decisive? Meaning, when you are asked to make a call, you make one. Gotcha. Are you okay with that? Yes. Yeah. Just don't be stupid. That's that's my yeah. that's my just it's okay to think things through, but when it's time to actually make a decision, make a decision. Now this one you would think I'd be all in on, but I, I think it needs a caveat. Okay. The dude shall not shy away from conflict. I think this needs a caveat. This is another lesson I'm trying to teach Noah right now. We had our own little coward of the county moment, man. Hmm? You know, where um most of the time, guys err on the side of too much embracing of conflict or mm-hmm. not embracing of it at all. Right. And know when it's time to lock that door from the inside. You know what I'm saying? Maybe right. maybe we go to another Kenny Rogers song here. Got no one to hold them and no one to fold them. Right? So how about we amend this one? When it is clear conflict is called for, the dude shall not shy away from conflict. Are we okay with that amendment? 
Yeah, or another way of saying uh, choose your battles. A dude shall choose his battles wisely. Yes, but when it is a wise time to go to battle. Yeah, don't shy away. The dude yeah. will do so, yeah. yes. The dude shall be humble and shall not celebrate his dudeness. I don't know if I like this one mainly because I don't think I can... I don't think I can live up to this one. Yeah. Because that's what this should be, right? A totally subjective exercise based on your own individual uh, desires. and. Well, really, the whole point of the dude code is to self-actualize yourself. Yes, absolutely. That's what it's been about all along. Thank you, Jim Acosta. Right. The dude shall not idolize other dudes. Yes. I think that's fine just the way Either way. Yeah. Totally. Either positively or negatively. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. just totally in. Um, Yes, absolutely. The dude shall not reveal to non-dudes what is said between dudes. I don't see. I think that needs a caveat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Why? Yeah, I, to me that kind of sounds like a little sort of, you know. Don't tell the women. Yeah, bros before O's kind uh, of code. Yeah. I, I'm not in on that mm-hmm. stuff. Because again, maybe what's said between dudes sucks. And if the local police officer is a woman, she needs to be called in. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I think that one needs to be fleshed out a little more. I see where you're going. Like, there's got to be some kind of honor code. I get that, you know? But honor code, the first word of that is what, Aaron? Honor. Honor. Yeah. Meaning, if we're operating within honor, there should be a code, right? Right. If you're being dishonorable, dude, I don't know you jack squat. I'm not doing that. Right. You know? There's no honor and dishonor in, in honoring your dishonor. I'm not going to do that. Right. Um, the dude shall not reveal... Oh, I already did that one. The dude shall hold himself to the same standard to which he holds others. Self-awareness. I'm yeah. in on that. That's yep. a good one. I like that too. Yeah. Yep. The dude shall enforce the dude code to all other dudes. Well, that that's already in the dude code. It already is. And we had a pretty long discussion about that. There is a there is a point though where it's like you're like too much enforcement. It's like, um, are you compensating for something here? That you gotta be careful with that one. It's like it's like um you know Remove the re, remove the the log the plank out of your own eye before you remove the speck from your other dude's eye. All right, I, I'm gonna. I do want to mention one more. Can we do one more? Sure. This is because, by the way, Alex, really earnest attempt there. Well, yeah. Done. Okay. Um, even the ones we thought needed fleshed out more, we we could see the angle you were working from. That's that was a good attempt. This is from Trent. Uh, love you guys a show. I've heard you guys and Daniel Horowitz talk about conservatism has no movement backing it up like the left does. And that's largely to blame for why we struggle to get our message across to Washington and the American people. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Anyways, my question is, how do we start one and maintain it? Is this something we can do? I mean, I'm just a guy living in Phoenix who loves this country and wants to make a difference. Well, let me answer your email, and I will definitely want to know what you think about this, Aaron. But okay. let me Trent, let me answer your email backwards. I don't know what you can do. And, you know, somebody sent me a note a few years ago that I err too much on the side of pointing out what's wrong without offering remedies, right? So we've, we've really tried to make a focus on our show of how do we do what we believe? How do we do this? I don't know how to fix that this is true, Trent. This is why I don't really have a battle plan. That's why the next book I have coming out is called Truth Bombs. Pre-sales available now at Amazon.com coming on December the 4th, by the way. Because I, I think we've, and it says right in the introduction, 
this is going to be boot camp, you know, where we tear you down in order to build you back up to be a major badass. Because I, it, there's another argument that Daniel Horowitz and I have been having, Trent, for the last year in the show. It's the steak and cheese. It's argument. And I don't know where I'm at on this yet. Like, I, I don't know if our people are, are mass consuming Cheez-Its because steak isn't on the menu or if they if we put steak on the menu, they still wouldn't care. Like I looked, I looked at a tweet, a series of tweets Matt Walsh put out this morning. Did you see these? No any chance. Nope. Wanting to know why we were already fixated on three NFL kneelers in an NFL preseason game last night, and why it's difficult to get conservatives to focus on an issue that's of the utmost importance. Like he's and his example was infanticide, abortion. And he said, "It's pretty obvious now. The president is milking this issue for his own political benefit." And that the players are milking this issue for their own um, exposure and vanity. And vanity. Yeah. So why are we playing along when there's far more important things to talk about? Matt is right, 100%. But what I don't know yet is, why is he right? Meaning... Are we in our industry of conservative media, are we pushers and you're victims? Meaning we're predators in your community selling you a drug you don't want, but you're so desperate to self-medicate and escape the reality of the world that we predator on you, prey on your weaknesses, P-R-E-Y, and use that to our advantage to line our pockets. Like... Wesley Snipes in New Jack City, for example. Or are we simply businessmen? Meaning, you guys want this crack. You don't want the meth. Why are we the bad guys for giving you what you want? Look at your, I mean, no one's, we're not forcing you to consume this. You want it. And, I, you know, we'd prefer to sell you, you know, aspirin instead, but you know, that doesn't do the job for you. That crack does. So we'll sell you the crack because we got to make a buck too. I don't know that I know the answer to that question yet, Aaron. And that's why I don't know how to, I don't know what, I don't know what suggestions for a remedy to, to recommend to, to people like Trent. Cause I think we have to, I, I think we have a pretty good handle on what's happened to us as a movement and as an industry. I think we know that. I think what we don't really have a handle on yet is who is our audience really? Does our audience love the Trump show because there's no, they know Republicans in Congress aren't going to keep most of their promises. So you just take the show when it's all you can get. Or would they still just love the show even if Republicans were keeping their promises in Congress? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I think when we uh, talk about these questions, we're so used to looking at this through a practical, what can we do right now? What can we get our hands dirty with right now? Because we come from this world and we're used to, and I grew up and you grew up and most of the people growing up, uh, most of the people listening growing, grew up in a world where um, pol- uh, you know, politics and elections were how the movement expressed itself in its ultimate form. We're not there anymore. We're just not. And so you can't look at this through a, a, a prism of, of what what can we do right now? No, the the only thing that's going to fix this is spiritual revival. We've talked about that over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And I don't want to bring up a store, sore spot for you, Steve, but I think it needs to be said as an ex, as an example. The Ted Cruz campaign in 2016. I saw it up close and personal because you you worked on it. 
most sophisticated campaign since probably the Obama campaign, and it even probably had something on Obama's campaigns in 08 and 12. Most sophisticated campaign, most organized campaign. Yes, there were disagreements, I'm sure, about uh, how things were approached, but it was... You could not ask for more well-funded, well-rounded, better people, for the most part, on that campaign than, than what they had. Are we talking about a President Cruz right now? No. People chose the show, right? We need Yes. We need to stop looking at things in the way of, uh, how can I organize? How can I do something politically? No. We need to start looking at our lifestyles. And do they match up with a regenerate spirit? And then maybe people will look at us and say something is different about that person. And then they'll want to be like us. And that's how revival starts to happen. And that's the only thing that's going to change. So I hope I'm not misreading or misinterpreting the, the spirit of the question. But first and foremost, that's what's going... That's That's... That's how a movement, a movement comes even after revival. Because we're talking about this in, in terms of politics. That doesn't happen for a long time. The, the, the movement in maybe revival is massive, like the Great Awakenings. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something on a particular issue. We don't know. Let's be open. Let's pray about everything. Um, but we have to stop looking at this in terms of... I just I still think that we're looking at this in terms of how can we change things at the next election and it's just not it's not going to happen that way. That's very well said. Well, if you want to be a part of a future feedback Friday, send us your feedback. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. D-E-A-C-E is how to pronounce, or I should say, how to spell the last name. You can also like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Day Show. If you have time today, please click subscribe there on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have even more time, leave us a, a nice review. A lot of you have done that. The more of you that keep doing those two things, the more other people find out about what we're trying to do here on the Steve Day Show podcast on Westwood One, Westwood One each and every weekday. Have a great weekend. Until Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like you.